Are you looking for online courses with a Christian classical approach? Would your student benefit from small, intimate classes with personal, private feedback on their work? Circe Online Courses offer classes in classical composition and literature, logic, Latin, and loving the lovely. All classes are taught by Circe Apprenticeship trained, experienced, and dedicated classical educators. Teachers use a classical approach to instruction and weekly assessment that focuses on mastery. We never grade with machines. Instead, we focus on each child as a unique person. Above all, with a focus on cultivating the soul of the student, we are dedicated to helping you cultivate wisdom and virtue in your children. A complete list of classes can be found at Courses for Students under training at searcyinstitute.org. Sign up today for the 2023-2024 school year. And now on to this week's episode. Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you've been meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc, and I'm joined again by Andrea Lipinski and Matt Bianco. How are y'all today? Doing well, thanks. It's fine. Fine, fine. Okay. Ringing endorsement. Um, maybe you've been meaning to read this book. Maybe you're only reading it because someone else suggested it, and we picked it up for the podcast and have some of the same questions we have after the first little bit here. Um just a quick note, we did mention this when we first talked about reading this book, that um, there uh, are some ad- more adult things in it, but uh, um, and maybe even more explicit than we're used to from the Greeks, the Romans, or the English writers. But just a little heads up for parents, if you have somebody in the car with you or something like that. Um, but Matt, you tell me that we are we are past the worst of it. Is that is that right? This will be the worst of it. Or not past well, it. Yeah, if you read already... If the worst, if by worst you mean sexual, yes. Okay. If by worst you mean death and violence, probably not. Not so so much. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was uh, more on that first, on the sexual part. So, so if you've already read then, and you're not too scandalized to keep reading, then it shouldn't be any worse for you on the sexual content. If you, violence on the other hand, we can't make any promises. (laughs) So that 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 before we kind of get jump into the story proper, that brings up a question we were chatting about off the air a little bit. Andrea, you just simply asked, "Why do we read why? this? Yeah, why do we why? read this? How does it fit? It? Yeah, and, and do we read this with high schoolers? Who's we in your question, Andrea? Classical educators. Do classical educators read this? Do you know of any? <laughs> the three of us. Those are my three. I know one guy that that reads it. Nice. And teaches it in a school. One. One. We won't, never we won't. anybody else teaching it. So then we should we be teaching it in the school? I don't know. What um what in the first two books makes you ask the question? Um so like why, why would you why would you raise that as a question not having read the whole book yet? Right. So what in the first two books makes you think I need to ask this question? And maybe we can't answer it now. I can't. I'm curious in that. um, How does it fit within the larger larger tapestry? And if it offers something from what I can gather so far, it's quite different. It offers something different. And yet there's echoes. Um, And so with those two things, does it need to be read by more people? So is your question is your question assuming that people are reading it and wondering if they should be, or is your question is behind your question the assumption that not enough people are reading it and they should be? Well, it's a, that, right? well, I mean, if we put it on the overdue classics list, then we're overdue. We need to have read, so we should be. 
So then why? Why Why do we need to read this one? And I think we need to probably have a discussion before we can answer that part. Okay. So was there something in the first two books that made you think we shouldn't be reading it? And so that's why you're asking why we should be reading it? Because presumably if if it made sense to you perfectly, like I can see why this is Mm-hmm. how this fits into the tapestry and why we should be reading it. You wouldn't be asking us why we should be reading it. Right. So presumably you're asking us why we should be reading it because it doesn't make sense to you why we should be reading it. So what in the first two books makes you think, makes you question that the should we should be reading it line or belief? It's a, yeah. Um, okay. So if I'm wanting to grow in my understanding of humanness, humanitas, um, that's part of my goal in reading any of these books together. Um, it, this is, this is weird. Like, it's just weird. It's very, it's different. It's nothing I've been exposed no, 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 no. to. You wouldn't accept that if you were reading the tales of a wonder to a small child or to uh-huh. any child, and then you asked them how the story made them feel. And they said, it's weird. I no, don't I like it because it's weird. That. Would you accept it? I wouldn't okay. accept it. You're right. So <laughs> what is weird? What's weird? Well, first off, I'm busted. So, um, <laughs> so the prologue starts off, and oftentimes a prologue gives you a taste of everything to come, right? Notes of all that is to come. I'm going to hear them sung again. This prologue is rather short, and it ends with saying, we're going to meet a man who's done all and and suffered all. Then when we go in and we meet this man, um, I think it's right away in the first book, we find out he's strong. He's He's got arms of rock and, you know, all of these great attributes. And his people are crying out for help against him because he's a tyrant. And the answer to that is somebody grabs some clay and molds. I don't remember who the somebody is because these names are new to me. Um Mold another man, plops him in the wilderness, and he acts and behaves and interacts with the animals. Mm-hmm. And, and a, a, a shepherd, I think. It's not a shepherd, a trapper. He's a trapper. A trapper sees him and watches him for a few days and sees how well he interacts with the animals and goes and tells his dad. And his dad says, Oh, you need to go to tell the king. The king will know what to do. Gilgamesh, that's the man of arms, right? Who's also the tyrant. So he travels to go to tell the king. Um, I think they go as far as to give us the details that it takes three days to get Mm -hmm. to the king and the king tells him what to do. And that's when the second man gets formed, right? No, 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 no. He sees the second man, right? So that's when, so he tells, he tells the trapper, go to a, um, the, the a temple where the priestesses are, take this one priestess back with you, have her work her love arts on him. And so she gra- he grabs her, Shemot, Shem, Shemot, Shemot, and they travel back to the wilderness. They wait two days. On the third day, he comes back to the watering hole where he normally drinks clear water from the hole with the deer and the antelope. Um, and, and so the trapper tells the priestess to go and make herself available to him and, uh, to take 
his breath from him. Um, and she does, right? And so once he sees she is very different and he engages with her sexually for seven days straight, after that, exactly what Gilgamesh said was going to happen, happened. The animals don't call him one of their own anymore. And he longs for something he's never longed for before. He wants a friend. So then I think that's the end of book two or book one. Right. So that right there, that's a different way of waking up man, of calling man, um, man, set so like um, identifying what makes a man a man. So the question arose for you because the, the pattern that we're used to is shift is altered here is different. So the second man comes from clay. Okay. But when he's first formed, he he's one of the animals. And until he engages sexually with a woman for seven days straight, then he feels and, and he understands her words when she speaks to him. Um, which he didn't have that before, but he hadn't been spoken to, I don't think, by anybody because he was feared because he's just as big and has just as many, you know, two arms of rock like Gilgamesh. Um, so nobody's tried to um, converse with him. But after that encounter, then he travels with her back into the city and sits at a table and eats food for the first time and behaves like an upright human being. When there was, you know, so, but there was already humans and then there's this other thing that's formed and it becomes human because it engages sexually with a woman for seven days. So the seven, like there's something there. Nah, maybe, but what I don't, I don't, I, you, so you narrated it really well. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and then you said that you don't see the exact same patterns in other books but you just told us how it's trying to answer all the same questions. So I'm curious as to what part of it you think doesn't fit in the tradition. And maybe it's because I just hadn't talked about it yet. Like I've read this so many other things I've read or talked about in some manner. Right. Adam this was is... formed from the clay. Yeah. Adam became fully man after he had a wife and knew her. I never thought of it like that. Mm. I hear you that okay. he wasn't man until then, but keep going. <laughs> I mean, it seems like the pattern's there. Huh. The uh... narration makes a big difference. <laughs> no, I'm being really serious. No, it does. I'm being really serious because all this has done is just sat somewhere and I haven't known where to sit it. And I didn't try to narrate it to myself. I've done that. Like I'll, I'll narrate something back to myself. I'll, I'll either do it verbally or I'll uh, write it even. I didn't do that this time with this one. And in the others, I have. Well, every chapter or book, when we read um, Constellation of Philosophy, I wrote out a narration after I read it. Mm. This one, I didn't. The narration has just made a very big difference. Well, and let's, I mean, so, I mean, there's the elephant in the room, right? That it's, some of its things are more explicit than we're probably used to, Right. A lot of things that are off scene for the Greeks and the Romans and English and, and most of European writers for most of history aren't right. They're right there and they're not, they're not, they don't use euphemisms. They don't use, at least not in this text. Um, I don't actually speak, uh, what is it? 
Acadian or you know, I can't read cuneiform, but um, yet. So that we're might, working. yeah, I'm working. Yeah, we'll be in a friendship for that someday. That's right. It's an aspirational goal. That's right. Um, and so it might take you out of it a little bit, right? Like that. That might be. So when you're, so then you're, some of these narrative things that might have jumped out more, or maybe obscured, because it's it's out of the norm for our pattern, um, which we it's, do. It's not. It, I mean, the, the culture shock is not unlike what one experiences when you read Plato's Phaedrus. Mm-hmm. Right? There's so much talk about homoerotic and pedophilia love that you miss um, you miss all the other stuff that's in there about what genuine love is, about what true rhetoric is. Right. And, and there's lots of people that encounter that text for the first time or even the second time, and they're like, I, I can't see anything you're talking about because all I see is this problem, right? So it's very reasonable that all of us, the three of us and our listeners would be tripped up by that same, that same thing. And, and the Stephen Mitchell version that we're reading is because of the way he put together his text it's much more descriptive and graphic. It goes into more detail because I think we talked about this previously, but there's, you know, there are, there's a, a, a Babylonian version of this story. There's a, an Akkadian version of this story and Eucharistic, I don't know, whatever, all these different mm. cultures that lived back then um, that today, you know, hundred years ago or 125, 140, 50 years ago, when they found these, they found mm. different versions told by different people groups in different cities and different, you know, citizens, citizens mm-hmm, mm-hmm. civilizations. Jeez. And <laughs> it's the end of the day. Um, and so like, like one edition that you find that you might find in a bookstore, may be the particular, it might be a translation of the particular stone tablets that were found from this civilization. And another one might be the ones from this civilization. But what Stephen Mitchell did was he took all of the versions and then merged them to be able to tell the fullest, the fullest version of this story, no matter which people group it came from. Um, And so he fleshed it out. So, so it, your, the edition that we're reading has way more detail than than any other edition probably that you would find because he's going to he's going to bring in every single statement that's made um so i'm looking at you know while we're reading that one i'm looking at an edition by herbert mason Mm -hmm. and which is a verse narrative and it was it doesn't have the seven days in it it doesn't have the um it doesn't have the uh, the description of what she did with her legs. It doesn't have all that, but it has it has, it has some descriptions in there, and they're still pretty, you know, graphic. Like yeah. a a mature teenager, you know, would <laughs> recognize what these are mm-hmm. referring to. Um, you know, it's kind of like reading Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so you know, it's there, but the 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 Stephen Mitchell edition is really there. Well, he chose he chose literal translations, right? And then, then afterwards, tried to make it smooth it out, and make it poetic after pulling from literal translations. Mm. And so yeah. he uses literal terms, not euphemistic terms, for the most part. So, 
Well, something kind of similar, but not, right? Because every similarity breaks down somewhere, um, is the Grimm's brothers who traveled all over the land gathering up fairy tales and they would get the same tale told numerous mm-hmm. ways. And then they wrote one. They didn't write one like you're saying Mitchell did here and made sure that all the details were included. They wrote one saying this is the one that embodies all of these things. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but the similarity being there's a multiple ways that the same tale has been told within cultures. Hello, everyone. I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor for this month, the Honors College at Belmont Abbey. The Honors College brings the good, the true, and the beautiful to the next generation of leaders. With this great books-based program, the Honors College enlightens and challenges young minds while also preparing them for a fruitful life. Students can major in the great books or choose a professional major founded on those classic texts. With SCOLA, its summer high school program in July, high school students get a taste of the experience combined with the great outdoors, fun, and friendship. Discover the world through a critical eye on this all-encompassing journey. The Honors College at Belmont Abbey, a life well-lived awaits. Visit them at www.bac.edu backslash honors. Right, right. Yeah, and and then we, we we ought not forget, too, just as a side point, that the Grimm brothers then rewrote them a few years later, <laughs> rewrote them a few years later. Yeah. And sometimes what we think is the best one was the very first version they wrote. And sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes it was the second. Like they, sometimes they made them more gruesome. Sometimes they made them less gruesome. Yeah. Um, we're kind of, we're kind of fooling ourselves when we think the most gruesome version is the best version or the correctest version. Cause like you said, they, they pulled together all these different ones, but then they released themselves multiple editions. So. Right. And yeah. I think I have the original. I, I can't tell you how many books I've, I've read that say they have the original and they don't yeah. all have the same stories. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, there, I, there's people that, that have, that have complained, not, not a lot, but I've heard people complain about our tales of wonder because it doesn't have the right one in there yeah. as if there's a right one, you know? Well, the right one is the one I heard first. Like it's sometimes it's yeah. that the one yeah, my mom or the one that me. vegan Geroyan told me. Sure, the one that well, I was yeah. gonna say my mom. When my mom yeah. told me, that's the right one. Or that's the first one that I got that was more violent than the Disney one, right? Oh, that Disney one's baloney. This is this violent one's the one I want. So. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I have an answer answer to your question, Andrea. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's probably I, I don't know. Maybe Matt, you, you might know better than me. It's probably le- been less included in education and study um even before our 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 time uh probably there was less translations of it in language that would have been useful to use um for a lot of quote-unquote western civilization but i think it's if i'm not mistaken it's the oldest written down story we have right once we once we got it um from the general area right It's, it's mesopotamia it's it's um so it's in the same ballpark is the Greeks and the Israelites and the, and the Egyptians and the, you know, um, kind of where we trace a lot of our, our storyline to. Um, well, it was lost to us by around the time of Homer. Okay. So it has like no actual impact on Western civilization. Okay. So if you're talking about, if you're talking about reading classical texts because of their impact on Western civilization, there is no reason to read this book. It has zero. Well, it doesn't have zero impact because it did form the civilizations that created Homer and, you know, but it, but it like, it like, it comes 
from it comes to us poetically through them rather than right. as a text right. that we're educating with and reading with the way Homer does. Um, yeah. You could draw cultural, so, cultural lines to characters like Hercules or that we right. get later, but there's not like this kind of clearly this, 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 this character evolved into this character over time kind of stuff. But there's almost certainly, there's almost certainly a connection to scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are almost certainly stories being told in the Bible that are responding to this, this book. Yeah. Um, so there is a more direct c- connection to the Old Testament, the early, especially the early books. Um, so there's that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing that, the thing that I think that makes it worth reading is the fact that it's, that it, that it shows that the questions that we still wrestle with today were being asked even then mm. that humans are always wrestling with these questions and that their answers aren't actually that different. I mean, even though because of those details that you drew, you know, that we, that we draw attention to when we're reading it um, because I think as Brandon said, we're, we're used to them being off scene and they're not, they're mm-hmm. in scene for us here. Um so, so the details are heightened for us, and because of that, because of because of that, it feels like the answers are very different. But I think if we actually can kind of push those details to the side, um, and if we can put them off, push them off scene, yeah, for the, for them, then mm-hmm. what we can see is how how similar the answers really are mm-hmm. to what to what we even say today. Or what the Greeks were saying, or the Romans, or the medievals. But we have a tyrant king, and we need help. Who hasn't had a tyrant king? That's what who I mean. Has, like that's, yeah, who hasn't been a tyrant themselves? Right. In some way, well, right? the oppressed becomes yeah. the oppressor. That's right. how this happens. Whether if you, if you typically the bully at school is bullied somewhere. It's often at home. Yeah. Um. So like, yeah, like, like I see that. Put, push it all the way through, though, right? At the, I mean, at the national level. Uh huh. Or the the civilization level, right? There's tyrants, yeah. Uh, in the local community, in the school, in the family, uh-huh. in me, uh-huh. my belly is a tyrant over the rest of my Body. soul. Has yeah. been its whole life, right? My mind and my chest, my whole life. Um, yeah. How do I? How do I? How do I suppress the tyrant? Or how do I transform? How do I humanize the tyrant? How does? How does Gilgamesh get humanized? It says in the text, right? Gilgamesh is two thirds God, one third man. Yeah. And 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 Enkidu is two thirds animal, one third man. Or is it the other way around? Is it Mine doesn't up? say anything like that. Well, part animal, part man. He's made from the clay. How is he part animal, part man? And he's made by one woman fashioning the clay. I, well, maybe by nurture, but my text says. Okay. And Kido, or the, not my text, but the Mason text the says, text. "Yeah, Enkidu was an animal and man." Mm. Are you in book one, yeah. right, where he's introduced? Yeah, trapper. Hold on. Gilgamesh was the very first opening lines. Gilgamesh was king of Uruk, a city set between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in ancient Babylonia. Enkidu was born on the steppe, where he grew up among the animals. Gilgamesh was called a god and man. Enkidu was an animal and man. It is the story of their becoming human together. Interesting. That's what yours says? Yeah. No, mine's huh. nothing like that. It's the opening paragraph after the prologue. Oh. No. 
surpassing all kings, powerful and tall beyond all others, violent, splendid, a wild bull of a man, unvanquished leader, hero in the front lines, beloved by his soldiers. Fortress, they called him, protector of the people, raging flood that destroys all defenses. Two-thirds divine, one-third human, son of King El, who became a god, and of the goddess Ninsun. He opened the mountain passes, dug wells on the slopes, crossed the vast ocean, sailed to the rising sun, journeyed to the edge of the world in search of eternal life. And once he found Yunapshtim, the man who survived the great flood and was made immortal... He brought back the ancient forgotten rites, restoring the temples that the flood had destroyed, renewing the statutes and the sacraments for the welfare of the people and of the sacred land. Who is like Gilgamesh? What other king has inspired such awe? Who else can say, I alone rule supreme among mankind? It's about one man. It doesn't go on to talk about Enkidu after that? No, we no. We're, we got a while. Yeah, when it introduces Enkidu, I I I mean, I know that that text refers to Enkidu as part animal, part man, but maybe it just doesn't do it till later. Um, He is part animal and part man. So you have two men, one that's part animal, part man, and the other one is part God, part man. So I I don't want to make light of these universal questions that exist right in the text, Um, in in what we now have as the earliest text that we've got. But I think there's also a lot of, uh, or there's a, there's good reason to consider um, adding it to the canon, keeping it in the canon, whatever you want, put, putting it in our classes. Um, I don't know at what age yet. Let's get to the end, maybe. But um, because of of so because of how connected it it might be to the to the Old Testament, it maybe that's part of the work of continuing to to for classical education to become Christian classical education, right? That helps us have a better understanding of our own um, Christian heritage, uh, stretching all the way back to, to Genesis. Um, I think Matt, you mentioned last time that there's somebody who argues that the, one of the tellings in Genesis is the, is response. No, I said something about that. Like one's response to Gilgamesh and one's response to another narrative. So Genesis is making a corrective basically. Right. Yeah. I and mean, you talked about another guy that had an interesting, some interesting theories about these things in connection with the Old Testament. I think it was the only thing you found interesting in the, in the text, but not can't remember what, it, what the text was, <laughs> the thing you had to read. Um, but I mean, we've, yeah. we've touched on a few things already, right? Like a different version of man and woman coming together. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's not hard for someone who's, who's grown up on scripture to see, Oh, that's a different, that's like a picture of it's kind of like Eden, right? He's in the garden among the animals hanging out the animals and then there's a woman and then things change and that there's similar elements there. Right. Even though they're not the story we're used to. Um, and so I think there's something to, for us to look at and kind of uh, pay attention to as we're going through on those things. So are we doing that? The first, I mean, it, the, the first thing that we encounter in, in your narrative and in the text is that um, the the tyrannical nature of Gilgamesh, right. and there's and it's, it's the first thing that gets responded to, right? right. He's he's a um, he's a tyrant. He's tyrannizing his people. It, it's basically he's he's part god and part man, but he's ignoring the man part, and he's being all god, like his like they're gods, right? Like the way their gods are gods. And so he's not he's not treating these people as as 
people like him. Um, he's treating them as, you know, below him. And, and so he has rights that he ought not have. He's taking advantage of rights that he ought not have. And, and so the, the, you know, the cry goes out, the prayer goes up and the response is, well, he needs somebody to balance him. Mm-hmm. He needs, a, he needs a ma- another man to be his friend, right? The love of a woman is not helping him because he's going around loving on women. Um, That's not love, but go ahead. Mine says he goes down into the tavern to make love to the virgins <laughs> um, and the Mason one, right? And the... Uh, and also to, you know, women before the day of their wedding, the night of their wedding, right? right. First dibs. Um, but the response is he needs a man to balance him, a male friend to balance mm-hmm. him. And and so Enkidu is created. Mm-hmm. But Enkidu is created out in the wilderness and he's left out there. And Enkidu is part animal, part man. He lives amongst the animals. He acts like an animal. He eats like an animal. He has hair on his body like an animal. He is in every way an animal. Whether See, yours whether says like an he, animal. Mine says huh? he has hair on his body like a woman. Does it? Yeah. Mine doesn't say he has hair on his body like an animal. It says okay. his hair is it says his hair is long like a woman's. Like a woman's it's, hair. It's, but it's two separate statements. It says he has hair all over his body, and then the hair on his head is long like a woman's. Yeah. So it's it's both things that are there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, like it was referring to the body hair, like as a woman's. But there's no, there's no, in, in my version, I don't think there's any likening him to part animal and a little bit man. Well, even if you just mean personality wise, culturally speaking, he's an animal. I don't mm-hmm. think it matters. Okay. All right. Thank you. Keep going. By Jeez. nurture, he's an animal like Tarzan was. Or the Jungle Book kid was whatever, or by nature he's an animal because he was created that way. Mine also, implies that he was created part animal, part man. Yours implies that he was nurtured to be part animal, part man. He was he shaped into the idea and, of this goddess who yeah. shaped him. He eats grass with the gazelle. I mean, he's grazing like the grazing animals too. Yeah. Okay. Right, and and the animals accept him as one of them. Right. He is very much an animal, whatever the reasons. Okay. And then when he becomes the problem, when it be- when they become aware that he's the problem, the trapper and the dad, you know, go to Gilgamesh. Okay. And then Gilgamesh says, well, what that guy needs is the love of a woman, yep. the arts of a woman right. to humanize. And, and then that's what happens. She goes and she lies with him. And he becomes humanized. The animals reject him. He he cannot find somebody amongst the animals to be his friend. Um, he's got this woman that he loves now. And then the very first thing she does, once she separates him from the animals, right? She ends his animalness, and now she needs to cultivate his humanness. She takes him into a home for a meal where he breaks bread and he drinks wine. Mine says liquor. Um I think yours is beer, actually, right? Yeah. Does he drink wine and beer? I don't, I'm stuck on like. To me, the first thing she does is talk to him, and he understood. It was oh yeah, yeah. Before, yeah. That's mm. true. Mine, mine leaves out the talking part. Okay. Or Mason does, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you're right. He it does say that, and that now he's able to understand. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So so he's he's experienced the love of a woman. 
he's experienced the conversation with a woman and then he eats and he drinks and he dresses like a man. So, so the, the animalistic man is humanized by a woman. Okay. The excessively divine man, the tyrannical man is humanized by what? Man. Well, we know that the gods created Enkidu to to end Gilgamesh's tyranny, but we don't know why yet, other than maybe Gilg- Enkidu is just going to go in there and just physically put a stop to it. But we, but it do- that's not what happens, right? Because he go Enkidu goes into yeah. Urduk, Urduk, Uruk, Urduk, Uruk, 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 and and then he hears about this wedding night yeah, he asked. practice that Gilgamesh is engaged in, and he goes and blocks the door yeah. so that Gilgamesh can't go take advantage of it. Yeah. And they fight. But somehow he knows it's wrong? Like, why did, what, what, prompt, what inside of him prompts him to go block him? Probably because he's experienced the love of a woman, and he knows that he wouldn't want somebody else to lie with her. Right? Like, that's fascinating to yeah. me. Yeah, because he, he hears the story from the kid. And he says, I'm going to go show him that I'm the strongest. He'd already said that once before, but then he kind of like stopped. And then he hears the story from this passerby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the passerby is like, yep, this is what we do. (laughs) Like it's not even a big deal to him, right? Right. He wasn't told and he, and it's wrong. This is, so in the beginning, that part that I read where Gilgamesh goes and he brings back, he restores the temples, he renews the statutes and the sacraments. And this is one of those sacraments. Your wife is mine first, then you can have her. Yeah. Right? Like, this yeah. is the law of his land. Yeah. Like, I'm way out well, of no, my no, 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 that's not what it's referring to. Because that part that you read is, that's the, that's the prologue. No, that's what the that's first describing? part. That's the prologue. I've read from the I, first book. I know. I know. Oh. I'm saying that that part that you just read is describing yeah. what happens at the end of the book, not what's happened before the book started. Oh, okay. That, that that part that he goes off. Would it, read it. Can you do you remember what it said? Yeah. Like he goes off to the, the talks to Ushtaru or something. The guy that's been long, longer than anybody. The man who survived uh, the great flood and was made immortal. He brought back the ancient forgotten rites, restoring the temples that the flood had destroyed, renewing the statutes and the sacraments for the welfare of the people and the sacred land. So yeah, this is more like the beginning of the Iliad when they're like. Yes. Here's what's about to happen, and here that should be the, the prologue. Uh, okay. I can buy that. That makes okay. much more sense. That's yeah, good. that's Thank what you. happens at the end of the book. So that hasn't happened yet. Okay. okay. So I thought that has happened, and now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now he's this right. guy. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes more sense. Because I was yeah. like, he seems like he's already accomplished a lot. We're kind of dropping the right. story pretty late. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is, sounds like a good guy too. What's the problem? Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Unless the rituals that he brought back are stupid, which. Is what how you took it, Andrew? That's how I took it because it said yeah. it in book one. Yeah. yeah, not the prologue. No, it's more like the Odyssey of the Iliad. I don't know why the editors all call that the other part the prologue because the prologue is more like a I don't know, like a it's like here's where to go. It's like here's where to go find the story. It's like go walk around on the walls of of Oruk. Right. Find this stone, and underneath there's the tablet, and Open read about lid. and read about Gilgamesh. It's like yeah. this weird, yeah. yeah. Learn about Gilgamesh. Now the, 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 the lines that you read earlier, that, yeah. and again just now, that's yeah. like the first ten verses of the Iliad or the Odyssey. Yeah, uh, okay. that makes sense. 
That's how it's being used there, right? It is following that pattern, that form. That's structurally helpful to know. Yeah. 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 Um, So, okay. So however Enkidu knows, Enkidu knows probably by the humanizing of the woman, right? Yeah. Um, He has an understanding for justice. He goes in and he blocks the door. Won't let anybody into, won't let Gilgamesh into the home to sleep with the woman. Nobody else is trying. And then... Gilgamesh is like, what? No, you're not stop- you're not gonna stop me. And then they fight. And there's this huge fight. All this stuff gets destroyed because they're both giants. Mm-hmm. And um they roll all around the city. Mine kind of describes it quite humorously because it's like it says something like, um, the dogs raced in and out between their legs. Mm-hmm. A child screamed at their feet that danced the dance of life, which hovers close to death. And quiet suddenly fell on them when Gilgamesh stood still, exhausted. You got like just imagining, right? Like as they're rolling around the city, there's like dogs running around between yeah. their legs and children, and <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then and then I think in both versions, actually, it just kind of it's like it just ends, and they're like, "We're best friends." Yeah. Yeah, Gilgamesh kind of pins him, but then he's like, then he embraces him. But I don't know if this one. I mean, I don't. I don't, I don't have that alternate texture in front of you. But that's prophesied. That's what's going to happen, right? Gilgamesh yeah. gets a dream and goes and talks to his yeah. mother that you're going to meet this man and then you're going to embrace him, basically. So once he's mm-hmm. met him, he does what he's supposed to. I that's guess. in book one, the prophecy is mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So so interestingly, the tyrannical man doesn't just need a man who can stop him, mm-hmm. physically stop him. Mm-hmm. The tyrannical man needs a man worthy of friend worthy enough to be his friend and then mm-hmm. as friends their friendship stops him right right not not another cut tyrant coming along and tyrannizing this tyrant but right to the two becoming friends that humanizes the tyrant so you have the 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 animalistic man humanized by a woman and then you have the tyrannical man humanized by a friend because being able to slay gilgamesh doesn't doesn't humanize him it just kills him right he doesn't change right. him to be to right. acting more human yeah yeah I, I, i'm like i'm way out of my depth on this stuff but but my understanding is that like some of this explanation of these marriage rituals and the being partially being partially um you know one third this one third that like this is all tied up in in worship the worship of these in these kind of temples in and around the Mesopotamia in the areas surrounding Israel before and after the formation of Israel. Um, and that's where we, and then we see remnants of this kind of stuff in the old Testament when they're, when they're, when they're going out, taking out some of these tribes in the surrounding areas that are quote unquote giant clans and things like that. Um, that it's a reference to this kind of partial deity, partial, partial man, which represented here as being by, by, by this culture as being well he's part god and the israelites would have said part something else right demon or fallen angel or but they're that's that's who they're interacting with not not the god of the universe i think but like i said i'm way on my depth in that kind of stuff yeah but it's interesting that he's going to go look for uh what do you call it pre-diluvian knowledge from the guy one guy who survived the flood because that's a lot of the what you get is like that's how that's how certain civilizations rise. They they had technology that no one else had, and where were they, where were they getting it? You know, so is that knowledge a good or evil source? 
I'm fascinated. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The other thing I find interesting, if we're comparing narratives with, there's a thread out there, right, of even of Christian theology or or uh, scholarship that the quote unquote forbidden fruit was sex, right, and not not something that was actually eaten. Um, and that's exactly what we get, though, in this story is what is that's or well maybe that's what he that's what changes him, right? And then he leaves Eden after he's with the priestess uh, and and Duku is. Mm-hmm. So it's just there's just a lot of it's interesting where it parallels and it's interesting where it where it diverges from from the biblical account of Eden. But he's in the garden, so he's he's completely. He's not unhappy. He just is there, right? And then he, but he has to leave once there's a change. I'm not familiar with forbidden fruit being physical um, items from a tree versus sex. That's not a familiar. Um, I don't interchange know a lot about me. it, other than it being. Um, typically, it's 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 brought up by people who are trying to. Um, at least in my experience, undermine like traditional understanding of, of the scripture. They're trying to make some kind of statement about Christianity. But Well, I just, so for me, where my head went when you brought up that word forbidden fruit was, well, hold on. Um, the priestess wasn't forbidden at all. She was actually ordered, um, you know, to be sent to him um, by the tyrant king, but by the king. Um, no, by the God. Uh, what's... Um, Anu, the father of the gods, isn't that who sent? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Anu, You're right. It's, it's it's all under the direction of the chain of gods and half gods and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, As but Anu is the father of the gods. That's who gets beseeched. Where right. when they when they cry out to say we have a tyrant. Um, they first go and they acknowledge Anu as father, and then they acknowledge their their current king Gilgamesh as noble, maybe something like that. They 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 praise him. Then they list his crimes. Then they ask their father, God, two questions, and then they make a demand. Do something. And I just I thought that was an interesting form because he instantly responds. He does what has been asked. Um, he does something right. He sends somebody else. And uh, so I didn't see Enkidu as forbidden in that way. Um, or I didn't see... I'm mixing the two. So Enkidu was sent to Gilgamesh to to balance him. The priestess is sent to humanize Enkidu. Um, hold on, it's right there. Ah, and so with if you're likening this to forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, the Adam and Eve are told, don't eat it or you will know. Right. Yeah, yeah. You'll you're die. right. You'll you're die. Right. Yeah, die. You're right. I, I use the term forbidden fruit because that's the common usage for us, right, from a Christian perspective. Um, but you're exactly right. That's that's part of the difference is that that in this case, I mean, he is tempted, right, to by her. But in this case, it's all under the direction and in accordance with the with the wishes of both the high god and all the kind of steps in between the high god and Gilgamesh and Gilgamesh and, and this and this uh, trapper, um, which is a different telling of this, the quote unquote story of Eden, right? I mean, it's a different 
telling of that kind of story. Um, right, right, because it's not it's not forbidden for them because knowledge is not right, right. Knowledge is not dangerous for them. It is forbidden in scripture because knowledge is dangerous. So it has to be withheld for a time, you know, until there's a maturity that's reached. But mm-hmm. for the pagans, that's not the case. Knowledge is always good. Knowledge is always. In the fact, they, they just. Pursue. And in this uh, case, he's given he's given quote unquote the knowledge, right? The, the carnal knowledge, um, and and that's what starts to draw him out, uh, rather than he matures and then is ready for that knowledge, right? It's the it's the getting the knowledge that then starts the maturing process. It's the reverse. Yeah. For the idea. So they're similar, but the way they, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the pagan view, the God who gives them all that stuff is the good guy. And the God that withholds it is the bad guy. And in the Christian view or the Judeo-Christian view, the God that withholds it is the wise God and the God who just, or the being that just bestows it freely without regard for your readiness is the bad guy. Okay. So let's play there for a moment. I find within my realm, I live in the PNW, Pacific Northwest, not a lot of Christians here. It's not the Bible Belt. And so I hear people say things like, you, you're you okay living under those laws? You're Christian God's laws? I was like, what, like this, the Ten Commandment laws? Um, because like, I, I don't, I, I don't think it's all that bad to, to not covet my neighbor's stuff. That's, that's not such a bad thing. It's, it's not so bad to not kill. It's not so bad to not steal. Like, where's the problem? <laughs> those yeah. things are there to protect me and help me. Um, those knots. Yeah. You know, once I, once I pull it out like that, and they're not just laws mounted on me that are, are weighing me down, holding me back. Um, right. But I pull them out and, and say them in normal ways instead of thou shalt not. Um, I don't have anybody really be able to respond. <laughs> like, yeah. Hmm. You almost want to ask the person, no, you're right. I would much rather get rid of the 10 laws that, that God gave us and, and replace them with the hundreds of thousands of laws that the U S government gives us exactly. at the federal and state and County and local level. Yeah, yeah. That's a much better society to live under. <laughs> that's right. Much less confusing. Um, well, then which, I pick and choose, right. And that way we all become, that's right. Cafeteria style citizens. I pick and choose the laws I want to abide by. That's right. This y'all are raising interesting questions for me because Matt, you point out that this is not that dissimilar from other, you know, pagan mythologies, right? Where, where, like the like in, in Greek, right? The one that God gave us fire. He's the one that gets in trouble, right? But, but man is glad to have the fire, right? In in the Greek in the Greek mind. Um, and the Greek telling, um, I, it would be really interesting to me and I have no idea if I can do this or, I mean, I can't, I don't know. I'm not enough of an old Testament scholar, but, um, like I, I wonder if, if it's, if it's an accurate, one accurate way to look at parts of the old Testament, particularly Genesis is that this is a, this is a, a writing down correct of the corrective of the creation story and the, the fall story and the Genesis and the, and the Eden story as a corrective to the surrounding um, cultures that tell stories more like this one. Right. Um, 
uh, and other there's other elements that we aren't going to necessarily get into with Gilgamesh, but like the sun god taking out the 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 the, the child god taking out the father god, as a you know like we get with Zeus and the and the Titans or, or Zeus and Cronos, uh, but um, like I wonder if the, if this if that if if it's a in the same way that that you have Christian writers doing that after Christ and they're giving corrective through the New Testament and then additional writings by the church fathers. Um, but the, the main difference is that we, we lost so much of whatever was, whatever stories and, and myths existed from this period, other than like this one, it's one of the few we have, right. At least that we've translated from all the things we've found. Um, whereas more of that carried forward after Christ and it was either, Parts were discarded, but parts were incorporated um, in in the way we talk about it. So it, it was a similar thing happening, but but because the church wasn't going universal yet, it was hard. It wasn't necessarily able to wasn't possible to integrate the stories. We just had to kind of write the corrective in the Old Testament <laughs> and then just stay there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've heard the argument that you know Genesis two is a is a response to the Epic of Gilgamesh. Genesis one is a response to the whatever some hymn to yeah, somebody yeah. I can't remember, mm-hmm. um, and then there's some passages I think in Isaiah maybe that are responses to particular beliefs. I think um, the the flood I think is another one. Genesis six and the mm-hmm. sons of God and the daughters of men. Well, uh, Baal Baal has his own cycle of stories that we don't really know much about typically, but obviously Baal's referenced quite a bit in the Old Testament different times. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know if they actually are like, yeah. I mean, it could just be that, that, that the, the, the spiritual things that were happening, spiritual things that were, the things that were happening between the spiritual realm and the physical realm really did happen. And this is the, you know, the Bible is the, 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 the Jewish recording of that, of those happenings, those events from their perspective, their interpretation of it. And then, you know, Gilgamesh and that other hymn and whatever the bail cycle and all those are, are the, the same stories being told. I mean, the same, the same events being described, but from the perspective of those people, um, which is probably how I would take it. Like, that's mm-hmm. just how it happened rather than thinking of it as, well, the Israelites came along and then they read this book, they read this bail cycle and they're like, well, we got to write, we got to write a response to that. You right. know, like, mm-hmm. like people do when they read articles on our website, like, I don't like that article. I got to write a response to that. You know? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think it, I don't know that it was like that as much as it was, these things were really happening. And, right. the, you know, and then the the Israelites write their version of their understanding of it, and the Baal, whatever the the Babylonians and whoever are writing their version of it. And so there's similarities, of course, but there's right. also like the Israelites were aligned with the true God, so their interpretation right, of it right. is going to align with how the true, you know, how God would understand this world. The Babylonians were aligned with these demonic forces or whatever, and then their so their version is going to take. It's going to be colored by that view, right? right so they're going yeah. to be different, but there's going to be a lot of overlap, a lot of similarities between them. Yeah, I'm but that's certainly... because I think these things really happened, right? right? In the in the book, you know, he's like, "Well, people subscribed. Gilgamesh probably was a real king of Uruk, and pe- to to whom people ascribed superhuman strength and intelligence. 
or he actually had it. You know, I like I can I can accept that as a re, as a reality. Right. right, really was super super strong and super wise. But yeah, I I certainly don't have the the Old Testament scholarly anything to suggest that like the the bulk of the Old Testament is a response to anything. Um, yeah. I think you're probably right. The bulk of it is probably just the Judeo-Christian account, right? The, because it's because of the um, special revelation of God. And the, these other ones are the same events twisted by whatever thing they're worshiping, right? Um, in some way. And again, I'm with you. I don't have a problem believing that people appeared and were physically stronger and smarter because they were getting, they were getting, help during their short lifespan by this whatever demonic power was the principality and power of where they were right, uh, right. Not a, I think spiritual I, forces in the same way the israelites right. got help from god they were getting help from demons whatever right the scripture seems to, to state those things pretty seriously like they can they can enter they can slow an angel down that's coming to help answer your question right i mean that we have that and so if you if you buy that was what it says in the bible and i have no problem with that um uh yeah the only dis- distinction would be that if there's a couple, there might be a couple of things like this, like one little section of Genesis might be responses because this existed in so many of the cultures, like you've said, written down in Sumerian and Ugaritic, and there was versions of this story, right? And so they would have been aware of that if it's in the, if it's in the kind of, I mean, they're surrounded by these cultures, right? So they, they'd be around, aware of them and to some extent. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't suggest that the whole thing is, is a like the whole Old Testament is a response to existing pagan text or something i think you're right i think it's probably more a divinely inspired account versus not versus demonically or whatever powers and principalities inspired accounts um but but it's interesting to me that that for the most part unless you're a scholar and go looking for these bits of cuneiform we're not very aware of what other what those other accounts were whereas so this just uh whereas like the in the New Testament and afterwards, there's more of this integration of Greek thought and Roman thought and trying to find, okay, where were they close to the truth and where were they, where were they either an error being misled by some kind of force? And I wonder, I mean, this is just complete speculation. Is that, is that because the church is, you know, it's not a deposit in Israel anymore. It's now being spread to the nation. So now there's room to, to engage with those, those cultures in a different way. It's just interesting. To think about in ways that it didn't with the uh yeah when 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 with the Gilgamesh story yeah when the truth of God is basically in deposit with Israel it's being you know it's being held there right that's the only people who are given divine um revelation um it, that it just has to stand there as this kind of like no that all that other stuff is wrong this is the truth here right and and then those cultures that's you know kind of keep killing each other off and crushing each other and burying each other's cities. And so we don't have, it's not integrated as much into the, like Andrew was talking about into the Western civil civ mind frame. Whereas there was a concerted effort by Christian writers to, and Christian theologians to, to wrestle and harmonize, you know, it's probably, it's probably more complex than that because I think in the, in the old Testament, you know, when, when the faith is in the, de- the deposit of Israel, to borrow your language there, um, like you don't, you don't so much get them saying this stuff is false 
as much as them just interacting with the people who lived out the falseness and defeating yeah. them or whatever, yeah. right? Um, or being proved just or something, you know. The and then in, in Christianity, as long as there were pagans actually alive who, who were worshiping, like people mm-hmm. actually alive who were worshiping the pagans, the pagan gods, the pagan pantheon. You do get more of the no; those guys are wrong, right? Achilles is not worth emulating. Homer is not worth reading. Plato is trash. Um, it's after the pagans cease to exist and they stop worshiping. You know, the pantheons no longer worshipped. Um, that you really get church fathers coming out more explicitly huh. saying, "Hey, there's stuff worth here here worth reading." Um, and they, these guys have something to show us, you know, like St. Basil's yeah, yeah. text on, uh, on the, you know, the use of Greek literature for the education of young men. I mean, he specifically identifies Achilles as somebody who can teach us that loving your enemy is possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much more possible would it be with the Holy Spirit, you know, which we have? Um, but, but, you know, before that you've got, um, you know, more of a more of an argument yeah. against the the Greek and the Roman writings, authors and thinkers. You know, because the emphasis is to get people to or turn it's mixed. Away. The emphasis is to get people to turn away from that and mm-hmm. toward toward Christianity, toward God. Interesting. Right. Interesting. All right, Athens. Andrea, go. What? Book two, book two, <laughs> Humbaba. Talk to <laughs> us about Humbaba. Hmm. How much do you like Humbaba? Are you are you in Humbaba friends? I I think I'm conf- like where's Humbaba? Because now they're friends, right? They're both humanized right. to some extent. I mean, the humanizing is happening. It's begun in full fact, right? Full force. And now they're friends, and Gilgamesh is like, "All right, now we got to go take on evil." Right, but that's the end of book two. That's book three for us. Oh, really? Yeah. We were only supposed to discuss today through book two. Book three is when he says, let's go to the fierce monster Humbaba. I read ahead, so that's why I got confused about your question. And really? Yeah. Here I am, thinking, here I am over here thinking I'm the only person didn't, that didn't read properly. I'm Wait, the only so, didn't read ahead. So this, like, I, I need to stop using this edition then because I thought at least the general gist of the story would line up by book numbers, but apparently not because the prologue you told me is different, too, yeah. right? Where my prologue ended and your book one ended is different. And Humbaba is book three for us. Yeah. I mean, it's so the very book first two? thing. Remind me what book two is. It ends. They became true friends. Team. They embraced and kissed. They held hands like brothers. They walked side by side. They became true friends. So we've already talked about book one and two. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, there's some details we didn't talk about. Yeah. Bring um, them up. Cause I don't remember them and they're apparently not in my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's cause it's kind of hard because I want to switch back to the Stephen Mitchell and read it with you guys and not depend on my memory of, of when I read it a couple years ago. Yeah. But, uh, although it's pretty vivid, like apparently as you guys talk about, I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. Or, but as I'm <laughs> reading this one, I'm like, Oh, he left out this, he left out that. But I kind of like this one too because it. Oh, well, I'm thinking I need like. to get yours. I think I want the double layer, honestly. It is nice, right? Because it helped me to see 
Like like the seven days thing, right? Like that's yeah. apparently not a big not as part important. of the story because it's only in one yeah. of them or what, however many of them. So yeah, anyways, interesting. Also, it's super, I mean, the reading, even the two books in here was super short. It's short, right. It's pretty that's short, I, yeah. I think this, I can do it. This, yeah, like you can read both side by side. Yeah. Okay, so what what did I miss? Well, I mean, it's not like we missed. Um, all right, so then... I mean, I so I found it interesting in book one. Um, after, yeah, after they made love for seven days, he man, Andrew's a broken record on this seven days thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's in green, buddy. Um, he his body was exhausted, his life force was spent. He could no longer run like an animal as he had before. Yeah, right. So, um. You know that's true. Look at it. Think about how two-year-olds run around your house versus how thirty-year-olds run around your house. It looks very different once they've <laughs> once they've been spent. <laughs> they end this paragraph that says he knew things now that an animal can't know, and so there's that knowing idea that comes mm. through this, right? Um, right. And Adam knew his wife. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and then after this. Enkidu sits down at Shamat's feet. And that's when she speaks to him and he understood all, all that she says. And so to sit at her feet says he's learning from her. Yeah. Right. That's the image I get from that. Same um, way Adam learned from Eve by imitating her and eating that fruit. <laughs> uh, but yeah. right. But it's two different yeah. sides of that story. Right. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. 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 Um, and, and she tells him, right? She acknowledges who he is. She praises him. She asks him a question, and then she gives him a command. It's that kind of similar pattern again. There's a, an acknowledgement, a praise, a question, a command. Huh. And, the same thing that they did with Anu. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it worked. Yeah. And now the priestess is doing this to him. Hmm. Wait, what, what is this pattern? I need to write this down. Praise, question, <laughs> no, I'm command. I'm telling you, it's private. You don't get it. <laughs> Acknowledge who somebody is. Uh, praise, put a praise. Like, you know, for Anu, when they went to him, they acknowledged that he was the father in charge. They he Then they praised who Gilgamesh was, even though they're coming with faults, right? They praise who he is. Then they list his crimes. Then they ask two questions before they make a demand. So that one was a longer pattern, right? This one was just, they acknowledge, she acknowledges who he is. She praises him. She asks a question. Why should you roam the wilderness and live like an animal? Right? Like, mm -mm. Let me take you here to do this. And he nods. He agrees. Um, but at that moment, it says he, deep in his heart, he felt something stir a longing he had never known before. So we just acknowledged that he came to know something that he couldn't have known any other way. But in that little pattern, she awakens something in him that's new, that he doesn't know yet. And he wants a true friend. Yeah. That's, when, that's what does that in him. Hmm. So then she takes him into town. Um, and it just talks about what she tells him what town is going to be like. And it's it's a sexual town. 
right? It's a where priestesses are flushed with sexual joy so that even old men are aroused from their beds. Right? Like and but she ends that part and says, You who are still so ignorant of life, I will show you Gilgamesh, the mighty king. Mm-hmm. Right? So he doesn't, there's not a full knowing yet, and she attaches it to him. Um so yeah, it's in constant festival, right? Every day is a festival in Uruk. Yeah, when you're in Uruk. Um, and then before he gets there, um, the mother of Gilgamesh, Lady Ninsun, says to her son, which this son is Enkidu, right? Um, no, no. Oh, says to Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh. Sorry, says to Gilgamesh. This is part of the prophecy. Like it's coming. He's coming. That this this Gilgamesh has a dream, and the dream is of this boulder, and so his he tells it to his mom, and his mom repeats to him and says, "This huge boulder stands for a dear friend, a mighty hero. You will take him in your arms, embrace and caress him the way a man caresses his wife." So I thought that was fascinating because you've just drawn out Matt that to humanize. A man's two part two two parts of man, the animal part and the tyrant part requires different things. Um, but he's going to embrace Enkidu the way a man caresses a wife. Tenderly or intimately. Yeah. I mean it it might mean sexually, but I don't I don't think it has to I don't to. think so. I yeah. didn't go there at all. My head, even with all of this context, my head didn't go there at all. My head yeah. just went to that kind of an intimate bond. And I with Brandon bringing up scripture, I went to David and Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's not and it's not what happens. When I reread those words a minute ago mm-hmm. at the end of two, mm-hmm. I immediately thought of Jonathan and David. We're reading mm-hmm. the words out loud to you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking. I'm probably cutting you off a little bit, but just to make the, make the comparison, I was thinking a little bit too about how um, Agamemnon's tyranny requires somebody strong enough to stand up to him. Yeah, but they don't mm-hmm. become friends. Agamemnon rejects him as a friend, yeah. right? And then Achilles has to go, you know, has to go withdraw from the battle, mm-hmm. um, and then, but also takes away his wife. <laughs> So, so in Achilles is losing a friend and a wife, right? Uh, or potential friend and a wife. Um, and Agamemnon is getting neither because he's not getting, he's not getting the friend, but he's also not getting an actual wife, right? Like, a, I mean, well, he already has one back home, but he's not getting a woman that would actually love him. Um, and then Achilles comes back. Mm-hmm. Because he's lost his friend. Yeah. Once right? And when Patroclus dies, he becomes animal-like. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's animal-like in a way that's unjust, but it's animal-like, right? Like, it's not it's not the same kind of Full behavior day. that we've <laughs> seen from him up to that point. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, how if their friendship, if their friendship is severed in any way, how the other responds in in this book, in Gilgamesh, right? Because of the way it, the fact that it has over there. Yeah. I mean, so for, for Gilgamesh to know this man is coming and he's coming for a specific purpose and you're going to embrace him like a woman tenderly, mm-hmm. right? This is going to be an intimate friend and he's, he's, a, he's worthy of you and he's hero-esque, right? That, that is used. 
Um, so that when, mm. when he shows up, there's a preparation for it. Yeah. Right. He still has a battle with him because what men don't know, like, um, they got to beat their chest to figure it out. Like, I don't know. Right. Uh, like, they have to be equals. Right. I mean, he's gotta, he's gotta be, it's like, there's no men in town. Gilgamesh hasn't had any friends yet. Right. Like there's men in the city. I mean, from my uh, observations, friendships among men are very different than friendships among women. And so I don't know how much this is speaking to that, but I would say it speaks to that all men need friends. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, I suspect the um, I suspect the Babylonians wouldn't have been too keen on the idea that a husband and wife can be best friends. <laughs> um, that uh, that it would require the man would require another man to be his best friend. Um, but I don't know. I'm just I'm just wow. making an observation. But it, it is interesting that he doesn't just embrace. Like even in light of the prophecy, he still doesn't just immediately embrace Enkidu. There has to be that testing. To ensure that he's the equal, then once he is the equal, mine just very briefly says, and quiet suddenly fell on them when Gilgamesh stood still, exhausted. He turned to Enkidu, who leaned against his shoulder and looked into his eyes and saw himself in the other, just as Enkidu saw himself in Gilgamesh. There's that intimacy, right, of the... Mm -hmm. The connection, knowing, expressed in a very specific way here, right? Yeah. Um, whereas yours expresses it as the way they are embracing each other, caressing each other, right? Yeah. And then it says, "In the silence of the people." So they're still, they're still being watched. there in the in the public. In the silence of the people, they began to laugh and clutched each other in their breathless exaltation. Breathless, now, fascinating. There, there's a there's there's okay. I, just because people are crazy, I'll say this. It is possible that that last sentence I just read is referring to a sexual act. Because when Enkidu is embraced by Sham, Shaman, mm -hmm. Shamash, Shaman, Shaman, um, he loses his power. He loses his breath, right? His strength. Right. And then in Genesis... When Isaac and Rebecca go to Egypt, mm -hmm. Isaac follows his father's footsteps and he tells Pharaoh, this is my sister, not my wife. Right. And then Pharaoh looks, or whoever, whoever, whatever kingdom they go yeah. to, whoever the king is, um, the king looks out the window and in the King James, I think it says, and then he saw Isaac sporting with Rebecca. Um, mm. But it actually says laughing. Mm. Um, in the Hebrew, so laughing is a is a euphemism mm. because because all we know is it says he saw that he saw Isaac sporting with Rebecca, or he saw Isaac laughing with Rebecca, or if we remember Isaac's main name means laughter, so mm. he saw Isaac Isaacing with Rebecca mm -hmm. is what the Hebrew says. Okay, um, and then the next thing it says in the text is from the king is I know she's your wife because I saw what you were doing. Why did you tell me she wasn't right? Mm -hmm. So whatever laughing means, it means something that only a husband would only do with his wife. Mm 
not hmm. a sister. Okay. Right. Yeah, so yeah. it's possible in at least in my translation, right. in the silence of the people, they began to laugh and clutched each other in their breathless exaltation. Maybe if somebody wants there to be some if somebody wants there to be a sexual relationship between the two of them, you could find it there. But again, the, the point is that they're two men that have an intimate relationship, a, a, a friendship, a best friendship. Whether whether that means some, that whether that means something more than just emotional and spiritual in that world, it includes a physical element. I don't know, no. but it doesn't have to, right? In our world, like you can, yeah, you could have that kind of male male friendship or female female friendship, and it not have to be physical like that, right? There, but there be that kind of emotional and even a spiritual intimacy between them, like we think David and Jonathan or. Achilles and Patroclus or Frodo and Samwise, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ours says they held hands like brothers. So it likens it to that kind of relationship. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yours is actually clearer there. Yeah. I mean, mine's not saying it. Like, you have to read between a lot of lines and make connections to other books written in other languages to see what I said there. But (laughs) I feel like yours is more explicit about this um, becoming human. Ours is not, except for in one spot. And it's in book two. So book two is where she takes him and puts clothing on him. Yeah. And then takes him to the hut and he eats. And it was beer and bread. Very fitting, right? Whatever's the local fare of the land, beer and bread. Um, And he took a bite and he took another bite. And then he had a loaf and another loaf and another loaf. Right? Like, For seven days, probably. <laughs> um, I forget how many pitchers, drank seven pitchers of beer. Um, And then his heart grew light. His face glowed and he sang out with joy. He's drunk. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he had his hair cut. He washed. He rubbed sweet oil into his skin, and he became fully human. Fully human. That's what mine says. Nice. So I'm curious, like which what made him fully human? Is it the rubbing with oil? Is it the bath? Is it the haircut? Is it the beer? Is it the bread? Is it the clothes? Is it understanding a, a human word, or is it sex? Like we got yeah. it's all of that. Yeah. Mine says, mine says, uh, at the shepherd's house, he was welcomed and taught to eat bread and drink the liquor that the shepherds drank. Mm -hmm. His soul felt new and strange and his face was hot with sweat and somehow gay. The prostitute shaved the long hair off his body. She washed him with perfumes and oils and he became a man. Mm And for me, so right there, after that, it's shining. He looked handsome as a bridegroom. So now we're oh, interesting. that moment. Yeah. Mine has him go out. He goes outside of the shepherd's house mm-hmm. and he watches the flock that night for them. Yes, mine too. Yeah. He protected them. So now he's serving the people against the animals rather than the animals against the people. Oh, right? Remember before the animals would get caught in traps and he would go release them protecting the animals from the humans. Mine specifically says that he's protecting the sheep from the lions so the shepherds can sleep. Okay, hold on. Check me. Uh, am I right, Brandon, yes. this version? Because I can't find it now. Yeah, he chased off the lions and wolves all night. Okay, good. guarded the flocks. He stayed awake and guarded them. And same thing, he releases them from the traps earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. Like, we, you joked about it when you're talking about her leave the leaving uh, or um in both cases man got uh knowledge from from listening to eat to the woman 
you said, mm-hmm. you know, even, um, but in both cases that severs a, a close connection with the animals, right? Like before Eve shows up, um, he's looking for a help meet among the animals, which I mean, yeah, that'd be in pretty close connection with them. I mean, and so, you know, we've, we've, we've seen that fictionalized in all kinds of ways, right. Narnia, the animals can talk and, you know, all these kind of things. Right. But, um, but in both cases that, that distance grows in, in, in Eden, there's something lost, right? Like he, sh- they both should have been able to keep communing with the animals had they been obedient or be closer to the animals. In this one, it it's it's showing that no, you're not supposed to be an animal. You're supposed to be a man, and man and animal are separated, right? Um, and and that's what's a that that change of status is is good. It's a it's humanizing him, uh, or it's or it's, or it's one of the steps to him becoming human, like you mentioned later. Now, now once he's got food and alcohol and clothes and living inside, and he's been citified. You know what I mean? So now he's civilized. We just so don't know I, if it was beer or whiskey because the translations disagree. <laughs> I like that. Right before he meets uh, Gilgamesh, it says he looked handsome as a bridegroom. Before he attend, you know, finds out about this wedding yeah. and blocks Gilgamesh to protect the right of the real bridegroom. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's when he becomes united with Gilgamesh in friendship. He was ready for that as well, right? The twofold. Hmm. So. Okay. Well, so far, after our conversation, I'm convinced it's worth reading. I mean, we haven't finished it, but now that we've talked about the first, the prologue in the first two, two books. Hmm. I'm just kind of sad because I want to talk about Humbaba, <laughs> and I don't need to talk about Humbaba until next time. Nope, you don't. All right. Uh, well, we. And we also said this was a really short passage. You could read both of them easily. And then now we've been talking for how long? Well over an hour. Way (laughs) longer than it took to read them for sure. Yeah. Way, way longer. So uh, real quick, anything you're, well, you've already read the next part, but anything in particular that you're looking forward to? I'll start with Andrew since you and I haven't read it. We don't know the story. Is there some some lingering question in your mind about what's coming next? Well, there's got to be a tragedy. Gotta be a tragedy. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's gonna happen with this friendship? What's gonna right happen? Here? Well, it's it sounded problem. in the prologue, didn't it? In your mm-hmm. prologue? I mean, the actual prologue, not the one they call a prologue. I don't know. Oh, the actual one. He journeys to the end of the world in search of hum- of eternal life. He returns. Hmm. There's nothing bad. Store a temple. He's an unvanquished leader. It doesn't say why he was looking for eternal life. It just says that he was. Yeah. He experienced all the emotions and been granted a great vision. So he's going to get a vision. Mm-hmm. The great but he opens mountain places. passes. He digs wells. He crosses the ocean. He sails to the rising sun. Like he does it all. He talked about looking for something pre-flood, something that's been lost. But the, the thing that I highlighted for mine, it, for mine, the prologue ends with read how Gilgamesh suffered all and accomplished all. And yeah. so that's what I mean. I know that this is a tragedy. What's the suffering and what right. does he accomplish? Yeah. That's what I want to know. All right. Yeah. And, I, and now I'm curious about what role this friendship plays in it, right? This now that they both kind of met in the middle from the divine and the animal and they're more, uh, I mean, they're, 
they're great men, but they're men, right? At this point. So um, so curious to see. We're no longer divine or animal. We're just men. They haven't said that about Gilgamesh yet. No, I mean, they're clearly both still much stronger than the average man and bigger and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Gilgamesh has got to be somebody who was acting out only the divine side of his being. Mm -hmm. And now he's, now he's operating as both. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he's still a pagan, but I mean, even from their perspective, right? Like to be purely divine is to be tyrannical for them. Right. And then, so to, to embrace his humanity is to, is to limit the, the extent to which he's a tyrant. Right. And to, to do something there and that's happening at this point, right. but he's still divine, right? Because he's still bigger and stronger than them. He still actually has divine parentage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, and then uh, Indiku was was formed directly from the clay by by a goddess as well, mm-hmm. and, and made physically on mm-hmm. par with. Um, with the idea, I like that he becomes the form of her idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's good. Mine has mine says nothing about the forming. Yeah. Interesting. Or or that it was a. I don't even think it says it was a response to prayer. Actually. Yeah, and he's like, and it's or he's formed by a anywhere. woman. Yeah. But out of the out of the clay, right out of the ground, which is mm-hmm. out of the clay. Interesting parallel. Well, but she got the water. How did she get the water to turn it into clay? She just it says she moistened her hands. Is all it says. Yeah, I was thinking she spit. <laughs> In yeah. her hands. Yeah. Right? Quite, like that's how you do quite, it. Quite possibly. Yeah, mine when mine mine starts out, they're they both coexist. I mean they're both alive. Oh no. Oh. And the Enkidu is in the uh forest and Gilgamesh is in the city. Interesting. And they're just not they just don't know each other. I mean it's got the prophecies and stuff in here. Right. Um but it's interesting because mine doesn't actually say that Enkidu was created in response to Gilgamesh's tyranny, he was just called. He just called to respond to it once he's, uh-huh. once it, you know, once they. It doesn't actually. It doesn't even say that they cried out. So when they cry out, Anu, the father god, tells Aroru what to do, and it says when Aroru heard this, she closed her eyes, and what Anu had commanded, she formed in her mind. Right. So first, whatever she heard, she had to form it in her mind. She moistened her hands. She pinched off some clay. She threw it into the wilderness, kneaded it, shaped it to her idea, and fashioned a man, a warrior, a hero, Enkidu the brave and powerful and fierce as the war god Ninurtua. Like, I, I, I appreciated that. How does a god create? There's an idea yeah. in my mm-hmm. mind, and I yeah. form it in likeness to that yeah author of gilgamesh was uh aristotelian <laughs> formal cause final cause <laughs> we know the final cause to put a stop to gilgamesh's tyranny yeah you know the material oh so does mm-hmm. that mean once he once he uh he fulfills make, his final cause he's got a balance he's not needed anymore Right, so it seems like Gilgamesh lived before. Gilgamesh has the divine lineage in a way that Enkidu doesn't. Um, yeah, you get a little bit of dust to dust or mud to mud here in this case. 
It's not looking good. Let's just say that. Yeah. I mean, unless it's the ongoing relationship that prevents it, not just the one-time interaction, right? So, yeah. Interesting. All right. Let's let our audience go. Uh, Thank you both for being here. Um, Thanks for jumping in on one that was weirder, uh, maybe, for some of us. And thank all of you for listening, for, for pulling it down and joining us, too. Uh, for this episode of Overdue Classics. Join us next week and we'll discuss uh, books three and four. Um, you can send your questions and comments to podcast at searchinstitute.org. You can check out the conversations over on uh, the Circle uh, circle page, which will be linked in the show notes. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Searcy Podcast Network.